What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Coban. It's March 25, 2022, and this is Lift and Learn episode 80. In this episode, I'll be talking about the difference between front and back squats, so why you need to be doing both of them if you're able to, and why you might not even need cardio to lose weight. Stick around for that one if you're someone who just thinks cardio is absolutely necessary to lose weight. Spoiler alert. It's not the only way. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at Lift and Learn Podcast, on Twitter, at Lift and Learn Pod, and also on Facebook, you can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. Damn, I can't believe it's actually been 80 episodes already. That's pretty cool. Thank you to all of you for supporting me and listening week after week. And I appreciate the DMs that I've been getting when some of you guys have been telling me how the podcast has helped you. And people are telling me that they've recently got into fitness, so I'm answering back, trying to help them however I can with their training or approaches to certain aspects. I love what I do. I'm always looking to help. And yeah, I pretty much don't need to mention anymore that I've been reading because I find at least 10 to 15 minutes to read every day, but usually I spend about an hour per day reading on most days. I think it's been great in order to gain more knowledge and gain insights and views from other people's point of view. Sometimes that opens your own eyes up to see things in a different way. So I've been reading a book about Mike Menser. He didn't write this one. This was released after he passed away. It's called The Wisdom of Mike Menser. Earlier this week, I just got through a part where he was talking about his training. And if you don't know Mike, he was pretty hardcore with his training. He was a bodybuilder in the 70s, I believe. One of the craziest physiques of all time. Anyways, he was talking about his training. He used to do all sorts of splits, but towards the end of his career, he was trying to find the best way to improve his physique. Because he's done all the different training styles before, from 5 sets to 20 sets per body part per workout. He's basically done it all, and he was someone who was all about intensity. So he actually at one point was talking about how he would do one set per body part, one maximal effort. Just one set for each body part, absolutely just destroy it however possible, and then he would actually rest for four days or something before he hits it again. And reading this, I thought this was really interesting, especially because he started to train Dorian Yates with this one set per body part, and he went on to win Mr. Olympia. And Yates himself even credits some of that success to this new training style that Menser taught him. This one set, hardcore intense training sessions, Dorian Yates basically ushered in this new era of, uh, or in the Olympia where dudes have just gone super huge, you know, the mass monsters that we have today, he pretty much started it all. So for someone like him, it seems like that training definitely worked. Now, this is kind of the opposite of what I've been saying and what the science has shown, where I talk a lot about how 8 to 20 or 25 sets at the high end should do the trick. That seems to be the sweet spot if we're talking about hypertrophy or 
actually growing the muscles. Well, how did this work then? I mean, I don't know exactly, but I can theorize a little bit. So this one set training, Mike said that these workouts were only 15 minutes too, which was another amazing part about all of this. So this one set that he's talking about in this book, I would never suggest any of my clients to do. <laughs> but uh, Menser would talk, uh, he would be doing a lot in just this one set. So we're talking a super set. And sometimes that superset would even have some kind of super slow but heavy negative sets also. Maybe toss in a drop set too every now and then. So the training he was talking about may have just been one set, but it's a long and grueling set. So for most people, they're probably not going to be able to train that way because this is training to failure and beyond, which is, I mean, that's not necessary for 99% of people. Again, not viable for most people because that's way too much work and effort for the average lifter in the gym. Even for me, that would be stupid. Doing something like this, especially if you're new to exercising, could be doing too much. You could be in overtraining territory pretty quickly. And the risk of injury is definitely going to be increased if you don't know what you're doing. But I experimented with it a little bit this week, which I'll talk about in a second. So another reason why this training worked for these bodybuilders is because you also have to think about the gear or the drugs they were on to recover from something like this and to even endure something like this and to grow their muscles at a faster rate than the average person. Also, their nutrition was likely super on point since they basically were at the top of the, build, uh, the bodybuilding world in terms of mass and flow and aesthetics. I've said it before, don't compare yourself to these guys. We don't have the same genetics or the same drugs in us, okay? I think, though, there are some why stuff in this book besides this one set training. He makes a really good point when he says that intensity is very important when it comes to growing your muscles and pushing past your limits. When you're new, intensity shouldn't be a major focus of your training since you might not have the muscular adaptation to deal with the stressors from working out so hard. But if you have a few years of experience, that's when intensity becomes important to get past any hurdles if you need to. So getting back to what I did this week after reading about this one set training. When I was reading this, I was actually pretty intrigued. So I tried it out a little bit this week and I feel like as long as you can implement it smartly into your routine, this could be something I do a bit going forward. Although not as hardcore as they were doing it, so no drop sets or drop sets or heavy negatives. But I did do some exercises this week, and yeah, I just did some exercises this week where I was only doing one set. I used it more of a time saver, and just to toss in some extra volume this week. So when I had my upper body day, usually I'll just do something like three sets for a compound movement for the chest. So barbell bench press, and three sets for a compound movement for back. So maybe a barbell row or something like that. And then I'll move on to doing shoulders and arms. So what I did this week is I did three sets for my chest, pretty high intensity, normal stuff, but I did a set in between my chest and back exercises. I, did, I actually did one set of, uh, what is it called, uh, dumbbell pullovers, and I did that to failure. It might not seem like much, but that's an exercise that I actually kind of enjoy doing. I'm not sure if the actual exercise works or not for me, since I haven't programmed it consistently into my routines. But I do get a pretty decent back or a, a lat pump, probably from the stretching part of the movement. And I think it'll help me also with my shoulder mobility over the head and behind my body. 
So if I didn't do that one set of pullovers, I would have skipped it entirely. So I don't know. I think it's better than nothing because adding just one set of this exercise into my routine isn't going to push me into overtraining territory. But since I am doing one set, I do try to push the intensity there a bit. I tried to get to failure uh, with that exercise, but staying safe is always first and foremost. Even when I did legs, also, I had a workout where I started with deadlifts. Usually from there, I just go into other accessory work like leg extensions or leg press or Romanian deadlifts. But after my deadlifts, I did a set, again, one set to failure on the squats with two plates. Again, intensity there was pretty high. I needed at least two minutes before I moved on to my next exercise. So adding that in there, I think that benefits the leg routine because squats aren't originally in the routine because I think doing three sets of deadlifts and then doing three sets of squats after that in the same day, for me, that's going to be difficult. So I did three sets of deadlifts and just one set to failure on squats. Again, I get an extra set of leg volume in there. I challenge myself a bit. Plus, I get to practice squatting more too, so that can only be beneficial. So I think this one set could be a good thing in some cases. So we'll see how else I can really implement that going forward if I need to. I think with one set to near failure, I don't think you get overtrained from doing that, which is something that I'm that I'm trying to uh, avoid this year since I usually am the type of person to overtrain. In terms of the rest of my workouts, I have been working out less days a week still, still trying to lift just three or four days a week right now, still progressing in terms of weight and strength, and I've actually been increasing the intensity a little bit more as the weeks go by. I'm still getting sore, but I'm really enjoying training right now. I actually look forward to being able to work out because I'm in the gym pretty much every day, but it's just sometimes I just have to remember not to do anything that day, just work on mobility or something like that on the days off. But during the workout, some of the pumps I've been getting from doing the sets in the 10 to 12, and uh, sorry, in the uh, 10 to 12 range, I remember this one set of T-bar row. Oh my god, stupid pump, seriously. I don't think I've mentioned my OHP yet, but I hit that this morning, 135 for 7. That's pretty much RPE 8 or 9 right now, so I'm not going to even increase that weight until I can get 12 pretty easily. My shoulder is delicate, so I'm just going to leave the weight here. going to make sure that my form is absolutely perfect before going heavier. No need to do something uh, too drastic there. Squats and deadlifts were also solid this week. Nothing really surprising or mind-blowing there in terms of numbers. But let me talk about Monday this past week. So I don't know what was in the air during the gym this past Monday, but that was also the same day that Ontario lifted their mask mandate. So I walk into the gym around 6 a.m. this past Monday. First of all, there was an unusual amount of people in there, like maybe double what I usually see when I stroll in there so early. And I maybe saw two people in there with masks on inside. Yeah, this week things actually felt pretty normal. They, uh, even Crunch, actually, they sent an email and it was just like, no masks in all different languages. Like, <laughs> it, that was the whole email. It, there was like a graphic of, and it said, no masks, finally, or something. And it was in like, at least 10 different languages. I was like, was this really necessary to email me about? I mean, I don't know if COVID cases are going to come back or start to go up again, but... And then we'll have to deal with maybe wave seven or whatever it's been now. 
who knows if, come, uh, if COVID comes back even harder again the next time. Maybe by this time next year we'll be back on full lockdown again. Who knows? Oh my God, that'd be the worst. That would be the absolute worst case scenario. I think there has to be an end to doing these constant lockdowns and shutdowns of places like we can't seriously do this every single year. Anyway, so Monday, no masks. And I saw too many people lifting in there just... I don't know, lifting weight beyond their own capacity, just lifting too heavy for their own good. While working, I managed to see someone pin themselves on the bench press. There was a female lifting too much weight on squats, and I'm glad she didn't hurt herself because she just absolutely crumbled under this weight. Luckily, she set up the safeties properly. I also saw another guy who, what did he do? He missed the re-rack on a seated shoulder press. That was almost a huge disaster because the barbell almost flipped into the mirror. One side, the 45 slid off, and after the guy re-racked it, the bar just flipped. Oh my, that was pretty violent, actually. So I'm just reminding everyone out there, please don't ego lift. Don't lift more weight than you can handle. In reality, weight doesn't really matter that much in terms of building your body. Focusing on slowing down your reps at first, making sure that you have full control of a lighter weight before moving up in weight as slow as possible. Listen, there's no rush when it comes to increasing weight. Do more reps instead. That's usually a safer option. Then maybe when you can do, let's say, 12 to 15 reps, that's when it would be a good idea to add more weight. First, control the weights and make sure that your form is near perfect before going up in weight. People are just so focused on lifting more weight all the time. And I do understand that strength is a good indicator that you're building, uh, you're building muscle, but also eventually you're not going to get stronger every week because you're probably not going to improve your squat or your bench by 200 pounds in a year. So that's going to be a lot of stress on your joints. You really don't want to be lifting heavy weight all the time. Just take it slowly, actually concentrate on your muscles doing the work instead of just moving the weight. That should be the focus of your training sometimes. And yeah, sometimes you can just worry about numbers, but that's not the end-all be-all. Like, if you look at bodybuilders, they're people who lift and sculpt the body. Yes, that's the extreme side of things. Most people don't want to look freakishly huge or have vascular shoulders or shredded glutes. Most people don't want to look that way, but they actually lift relatively lightweight, most of them, in order to get bigger or add on size to a certain area. Someone their size or their weight as a powerlifter would be lifting maybe more than double that, and powerlifters don't have crazy Olympia-winning physiques. It just depends on what, you're, uh, what kind of training you're doing right now. It's good to work them both in at times. What happens is, when you're lifting weight that's heavy for you, you're really just worried about moving the weight from point A to point B, however you can with good form. But you're worried about moving the weight. You're not worried about contracting the actual muscles, like really trying to squeeze your chest or use your quads while squatting. I mean, that's going to be hard to think about if you're squatting weight that's heavy for you. So there are times in training where it's good to sometimes focus on moving weight, and there's other times where it's good to focus on contracting and squeezing the muscle, the mind-to-muscle connection. That mostly comes from practice, so it's something you have to work on. Question one, what's the difference between front versus back squats? Ah yes, squats are great, but they're also a pretty hard and complex movement for most people. 
Now, when we were all babies, we could perform perfect squats, but as we get older, we slowly lose the ability to do that movement because we no longer have the need to do it anymore. If you don't use it, you lose it. As soon as we're able to, we start to pick things up off the ground and just use our back because it just seems easier. Now, if you lift something heavy off of the ground, you'll know instantly that you should lift with your legs. That means using that strong squat movement. Squats are beneficial for you no matter how old you are, and that's because getting out of a chair without your hands is actually a pretty good determinant of your health. If you struggle to do that, you might have underlying issues like back problems or weakness in your legs, which is important to give yourself a good foundation and a good sense of balance. If you can't get out of a chair without using your hands, that's a, that's a pretty good sign that your body is weak and it's a sign that your health may be on the decline in most cases. You'll see this in elderly or obese individuals. So everyone listening should be able to do a bodyweight squat. If you can't, then you need to start working your way towards one. It's a movement in some variation is used every day. Playing with kids, tying your shoes. You need to be able to extend powerfully when you're in a bent knee position. Even something like a squat assists you when it comes to getting up off of the floor after a fall, which becomes more serious as you age. In terms of bodybuilding or building and sculpting your body, a squat is a great movement when it comes to overall lower body development. I'm talking quads, hamstrings, glutes, that's the butt. Uh, can you get big calves from it? For most people, not unless you're doing them directly. There's not enough calf muscle activation when you're performing a squat. Regardless, a squat really does work the whole body though. Uh, the core is involved. You have to keep your shoulders engaged and locked in if we're talking about a barbell back squat. It's a really simple movement, but it is complex and is actually pretty hard to do as you get older, like I said earlier, because we just don't do enough squats these days. The closest thing we get to is plopping on a chair or on the toilet. Since we forget how to do them, you should work on that before, to try to, uh, before trying to do loaded, whether that be with a barbell or a dumbbell or, yeah, or a, what's it called? A kettlebell. Practice and master the body weight squat first before anything. That's the most important step in all of this. I'm going to be talking about some of the differences between barbell loaded squats. So although body weight squats are great and other variations like jump squats and goblet squats are as well, you should be able to master a body weight squat before you start doing some of these movements. That means you should be able to get to 90 degrees or lower Record yourself and find out. Don't just say you're going all the way down or below parallel just by way of feel. Document your journey and get better. The more info you have written down somewhere, the more you can reflect back and change and be better for the future. You don't want to be someone wasting your time in the gym. Uh, not necessarily wasting, but just not using your workout time to maximize the amount of benefits and gains that you can get. So the difference between squat variations, I'm just going to go over just two common ways people squat. That's the back squat, which can be done in a high bar and a low bar position. And then there's a front squat. So we'll start off with the most common form, which is the high bar barbell back squat. And I'm pretty sure that's the common way people do squats in the gym. That's the one I see the most. It's a good movement for pretty much everyone. So in a high bar back squat, the bar is resting on your trapezius, which, is your, which are your traps, just above your shoulders. At first, this may be uncomfortable for you. It may take a few sessions or a few weeks to find a comfortable spot 
high up on your back, right above your shoulders. But you can watch some YouTube videos on this one. There's a lot of good tutorials out there. It'll take you a while to get used to the feeling of having the bar there and where you specifically need to put the bar to feel comfortable while doing the exercise. It's a learning process. When you do figure it out though, it'll just be second nature to you. For this one, I don't recommend using a barbell pad. You know, the one you use for hip thrust. Don't use the pad for the squat because it changes where the bar is on your back. It's a bit higher up and farther back for your shoulders and arms to go. This could put you out of position and you're not really going to have full control of the weight since you're not really feeling the weight. There's a bit of a disconnect there. This also affects the way your squat will look, your squat mechanics throughout the movement, if you have a pad on the bar, so just don't bother with that. The high bar back squat is the standard and it's a great one to build your core loading capabilities and it'll build up your quads, your hamstrings to a certain extent, and your glutes as well. Now there's also a low bar back squat and just like the name suggests the bar is a little bit lower on your back. You might be able to lift more weight with this variation but because the weight is lower on your back your upper body will have to lean forward a bit more than a high bar back squat because you're going to need to stay balanced. There's a tiny bit of difference in the way these squats look. For this low bar position there's a longer moment arm in your hip extensors. It really gets your hips engaged. Uh, this is because you have to keep yourself balanced by leaning forward more during the low bar back squat as, a as opposed to the high bar. Since the bar should move along the midline of your foot throughout the movement, the high bar and low bar back squats will be a little bit different. Like I said, in the high bar, your upper body is more upright. And in the low bar, you're, uh, you're going to need to lean over more to keep that bar over top of the midline of your foot. High bar may be more viable for someone with back pain. I believe that's because you're more upright, so there's less stress on your spine. You don't need to bend as far, but see for yourself how it really feels. On the other side, you got low bar, which could be a little bit better if you have a knee problem. Again, you're going to have to see for yourself which variation of the squat works better for you. Some things first, though. Okay, so between these three variations I'll talk about, squats can work. Uh, different areas more than others just because of where the weight is loaded which changes the angles and muscles being worked. Also where your feet are on the floor can make a difference too. A sumo stance which is where your feet are farther out uh, farther out than your hips uh, that's going to target more glutes for most people and even squeezing your glutes could also help at the top of the movement but that's not that big of a deal. So for the high bar there's more even leg development because the bar is behind you and if you're doing a front squat there's more quad focus because of the bar and the load being in front of you. So the other variation is the front squat and these are great to do if you're able to. The bar and the weight is in front of your body right where your collarbone is. Since the weight is in the front you'll notice that you actually have to be even more upright with this movement because if you lean forward too much then the bar is going to go forward you'll lose your balance and most likely drop the weight. You also do need more wrist mobility and flexibility to get into this position, unless you do the cross arm variation, which is a bit more difficult because it requires more balance with the bar. Either way, the barbell actually rests pretty close to your collarbones. Personally, I can't do this. I was injured as a baby and my collarbone is super sensitive. <laughs> okay, so just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> So, like I said, this one will be hammering your quadriceps more. 
that's the leg muscles on the front of your body. And that's because the weight is in front of you, meaning you're going to have to stay more upright and your quad is going to have to do a lot more of that knee extension work. So that's really just a quick summary of the two, but which is better? I believe they all have their value. If you can, you should work on doing all kinds of different squat variations. That'll make sure you're recruiting all the muscle fibers you can. You probably shouldn't do them all in one workout, but you can have your programming in a way where you're doing uh, one movement for a block of your training, and then your next training block, you work on another variation. They should all find their way into your routine if you're capable of doing them all. Just remember though, if you before you add weight sorry, to these lifts, or for any lifts for that matter, make sure that you're comfortable with the weight you're already using before going up in weight. There's a time and place for each one. You'll gain benefits from ones you don't do because it'll get you moving and stabilizing in a different way than you're used to. Question two, why you might not need cardio for weight loss. I just want to start off and say I'm not anti-cardio, but I think with the way media and just the news headlines are, and maybe common knowledge that isn't necessarily true all the time, it's pretty common to think that cardio is absolutely necessary when it comes to weight loss. And don't worry, I believed it too, even after being a trainer for the first few years. Usually, even when people do want to kickstart weight loss and embark on that journey, you'll see people go straight to running outside or jogging on the treadmill for as long as they can go and until they're sweating and dripping everywhere. That lasts for a while until they get bored or they get injured. Well, they have a pretty good mindset. Moving more is going to help you burn calories, but if you've noticed, it's a lot easier these days to eat calories than to burn off or exercise off the calories. A Krispy Kreme donut is 200 calories. A cup of fruit punch, a single serving is nearly 200 calories. And I mean, the glass we're drinking from, you're probably getting nearly 400 calories if you're not paying attention. Any snack could easily creep up to 500 calories or more if you're not weighing it out like a madman. It takes minutes, sometimes only seconds, to consume hundreds of calories, and it could take hours to burn it off if we're looking at it from simply a calories in versus calories out method. Some people may need to do cardio though, so it really does depend on how your lifestyle is. Sedentary individuals, if you're walking less than 5,000 steps daily, you might need to do some form of cardio just because you're sitting down at a desk job all day. You're simply not moving enough, and if you're just using diet alone, that could make it tough to hit a calorie deficit if you're not moving uh, that much throughout the day. What I'm saying and highlighting is the fact that the main way to lose weight or cut down is actually going to be your diet. But I understand that it's tough for some people to eat in a calorie deficit by using diet alone, and that's what the cardio can be used for. At the end of the day, if you really can't get your weight down with food alone, the cardio will help you get into that negative caloric balance you're looking for. So first, you need to tackle the nutrition side of things first. You may need to track and educate yourself about what you're eating. You might need to do that at first to see what you need to do going forward in order to or in order for you to reach this weight loss goal. Here's the thing though, if you're someone who's eating low calories, I want to say anything under 1500 calories or 1200 calories, and you're piling on cardio on top of that, and you're still finding it to be a struggle to lose weight, then there's a bigger underlying problem there. 
your metabolism just may not be in a good place currently because it's trying to be efficient when you're on this constant low calorie diet for an extended period of time. If it seems like you should be losing weight when you're not, this is when you have to get out of this as soon as possible or whenever you can and possibly do a reverse diet and or pack on more muscle to increase your metabolism. It's really not reasonable to be eating such low calories all the time because your body will quickly adapt to that stress you've put on it and actually won't want to lose more weight just because the body only knows survival. So depending on your lifestyle, cardio may be necessary, but it shouldn't be the main factor of your weight loss. Diet and resistance training are the best methods, especially for long-term approaches. What kind of cardio do I recommend though? I'm going to have to go with low-impact cardio. Doing a slow and steady approach with less cardio, that's low-intensity steady state. With this kind of cardio, it's more beneficial for most people because there's less likelihood of injury occurring. HIT is a good idea though, that's high-intensity interval training, but only if you're an advanced trainee. I don't really have my elderly clients doing sprints. They're not advanced enough with their fitness to do that. So for most people, the safest and most efficient way will be slow and steady cardio. Now listen, cardio is great for heart health though. I won't argue that one. It's good to build up endurance, but in terms of weight loss, it's not a good approach. Just because uh, if the difference between you losing and maintaining your current weight, let's say it's a 300 calorie difference, that's going to put you in a calorie deficit. You don't want to have to do cardio every single day. You want your body to work in your favor. You want to be burning it off just automatically because let's face it, some days you're not going to have time to do cardio. Life is always busy. This is why I'm an advocate for resistance training leading to weight loss. Diet is the most important part, yes, but in terms of the forms of exercise you can do to actually benefit you, it's going to be resistance training. Res uh, working out with weights, that's above on the hierarchy. It's above cardio when it comes to weight loss. Cardio, you burn 300 calories in that one session, but that's likely all you're going to burn off. Your body isn't going to naturally burn more calories by doing more cardio, and that's the opposite when it comes to lifting weights. With cardio, you're just burning calories in that given moment. Lifting weights causes your muscles to grow and build. This means you're burning calories during the workout, and even a few hours after the workout, you're burning calories, plus you're speeding up the metabolism for tomorrow because muscle is an active tissue that requires your body to work harder to maintain. So someone who's burning 1,500 calories per day at rest, now that same person has a bit more muscle after a few months of training, that same person may now be burning something like 1,600 or 17, uh, 1,700 calories a day doing nothing extra, no cardio. As you get more experienced, now your body burns 2,000 calories even without the need for cardio. So if we're talking about a long-term solution to weight loss and managing a healthy body weight, Resistance training is better in so many ways. Cardio, I think, has its place though. It's still something you can do on some days of the week to ensure that you're in a calorie deficit, which is still needed to lose weight. But you still should be focusing on getting into a deficit with food alone, along with your resistance training. Again, if your calorie intake needs to be super low and you need to pack on cardio on top of that to lose weight, it's likely not going to be sustainable because it's a lot easier to eat calories than to burn it off. You can't out-train a bad diet, so fix that part first. 
And if your metabolism isn't running as well as it should be, then you need to take a step back from your constant goal of weight loss and approach this a bit differently now since clearly it hasn't worked even though you've tried it so many times. Remember that we don't have a weight loss problem. People know how to lose weight. It's keeping it off that's the hard part. Again, because the likely combination most people go into is eating super low calories along with doing too much cardio. Eventually, you're not going to be able to do those things every single day to maintain your ideal body weight. You don't want to be someone who does cardio every single day to maintain your physique or your ideal body. Hashtag bod goals. This is why I always talk about resistance training as being one of the biggest contributors to long-term success when it comes to losing weight forever. Cardio is only going to be good if you can really block off an hour or something every day or every other day, but what happens when you don't have time? You really want your body to do a lot of the calorie burning on its own. I already said earlier that it's easier to eat calories than to burn it off. This is why you want your metabolism to increase. Therefore, you're burning more calories throughout the day when you're working from home or something and you're on the computer for most of the day. For pretty much everyone, because of the way the world and society is now, with food being everywhere, a faster metabolism is going to be huge to long-term and sustainable weight loss, and cardio just won't get you there. So first, tackle your diet problems first, then make sure you're incorporating a good strength building and muscle building routine, then if you find that you still need to do a bit of cardio, that's when it could be done. And that concludes episode 80 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast.